All right, how are we, how are we, everybody doing tonight? We doing all right? Good, four of you doing well, I love that. My name's Adam, I'm excited to be here tonight. That's such like a, a terrible question for all speakers to ask. When I, when I sit there, I am so annoyed when the guy asks that, so we all forgive me for doing that annoying thing that we all hate. Thank you so much, Robert. All right, so uh, my name's Adam, I've been on staff here at Watermark about a little over seven years. And just wanted to open up tonight, just sharing with you guys. I'm in a kind of a new season of my life right now. And this past spring, I turned 42. So I am two years into midlife right now. And so I know what I'm going to share here in the beginning. I'm just going to share a little bit about my experiences in this midlife, because there's some things that I'm already starting to notice about midlife that are very different than than it has been before. And I recognize that I'm not the oldest person in the crowd, and there's going to be some of you that are going to listen to this with some familiarity. You'll go, I remember when I used to think that way, and I probably some of you that will just let me know that this is just the beginning. It's only going to get worse as I continue to get older. But some of the things that I've noticed already about midlife is, number one, the weird injuries. Uh, the other day, I, had, I was done with the shower, and I was just using the towel like I have been for 42 years to dry my hair and I pulled a, 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 like a muscle in my neck and I really, I couldn't turn for about a week and a half from this weird injury just when I got out of the shower. So I've noticed that, that I'm just starting to get, you know, just all these strange injuries that are starting to come along. That never happened in my 20s. And now that I'm in this new midlife, that's happening. I notice now as well, when I go get my hair cut, they don't just cut the hair on my head. And I don't, ladies, you probably don't struggle with this, but men, you, you will probably recognize, like they, they cut my eyebrows now because I've got these rogue eyebrows and these, these hairs on my ear. It's just humiliating. It's humiliating. I feel like I need to tip the lady a little bit more for not just cutting the hair on my head. I really now understand the value of Metamucil. And I recognize why it has been on the shelves for so long because it's a really valuable product. And so there's just some of these things, probably one of the areas too that I face every day where I'm noticing midlife is just different than when I was in my 20s and 30s is when I get dressed in the morning. I've noticed now that being in midlife that there is a difference, there's a really fine line between you know, just looking kind of normal and stylish and looking not normal and stylish. Like there's a really fine line between, oh, you know, somebody seeing me and go, oh, I bet his, he's got a cool wife that helps him pick out his clothes. And, you know, then somebody looking at me dressed a certain way and going, oh, he's trying really hard. And I bet, I bet he's memorized all the songs to High School Musical, right? Like that, that line is really thin and I don't, I don't want to cross that line. But however, even though I'm struggling with some of this when it comes to fashion, there are still certain things because I am a little bit older and I have wisdom, there's certain Certain things I will see that people wear that I'm like, no way, I would not ever wear that. And I know that that's not a smart thing to wear. I don't know if you guys saw the news a couple, I don't know, it's probably a couple months ago in the late spring, this new fashion phenomenon, the male romper that came out. Have you guys seen this? Y'all seen this? So this is a real thing. This is a real thing. Human beings are paying hard-earned money to dress like three-year-olds. That, that's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, this, this, if you are in a male romper, that just lets the world know that you are into GQ and Nickelodeon. That, that's what that lets you know. And so, uh, so just free advice, free advice, men, never wear a male romper, okay? So that's just free to not be able to do that. Now, like I said, there is some, there is some wisdom that comes with being a little bit older when it comes to things to wear. It's like, I know how to tie a tie. I know when you wear a suit, the, the, the color of your shoes and the color of your belt should match. That blew my mind in my 20s when I learned that. And I just, I know that now, okay, that those, those are some certain things. 
that you need to wear. And I also know one other thing that, that we all need to wear. In fact, I know that there is one, there's one wardrobe essential, one wardrobe essential for men and for women that no matter what, every single one of us should have this one item as part of our wardrobe. In fact, this thing, no matter how old you are, no matter what your gender is, if you wear this thing, it will never, ever, ever go out of style. And if you wear it, you will always be attractive when you wear it. You will be timeless. You will, uh, you will look, it's, it's intriguing when you wear it. Other people will take notice of this when you wear it. And they'll say, Where, you know, what, it, what is that thing that you're wearing? It's vintage, it's free, and it looks good on everyone. It looks good on everyone. And so if you guys want to know what this thing is, in fact, it's actually, it's so vintage, it's biblical. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to see what is this wardrobe essential that every single one of us need. And here, here it is. Let me just read the verse. Peter is writing this letter to, to the church, and he is kind of closing the letter up, and he's talking to different groups of people. He was talking to elders in the church and saying, here's a certain way to behave. And he was talking to younger men and younger women in the church, saying, here's some final words for you. And then as he's closing this letter out, he, he is now addressing everybody that's reading this letter. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 6. He says, all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because, here's why, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so that's the wardrobe essential for all of us. That's the wardrobe essential that if you wear it, you will always look good because humility looks good on every single person who wears it. And that's what we all need to make sure that we have in our wardrobe. Now, when I say humility, let me just talk about that for a second because there's a lot of misconception or some confusion maybe about what it means to be humble. To be humble does not mean that you think uh, lowly of yourself. It doesn't mean that you pity yourself. It doesn't mean that you shame yourself. And it doesn't mean that you just simply have low self-esteem. To be humble, to be humble means that you have low self-preoccupation. It just means you're not thinking about yourself nearly as much as you used to. If you have low self-preoccupation, if your mind is not constantly focused on you and your desires and your needs and your wants and your life and your comfort, if you have low self-preoccupation, then you're wearing humility and it looks great. Now, humility is a little bit different than anything else we wear because sometimes we don't know if we've got it on. There's not a mirror that you can look at to know, am I wearing humility or not today? Did I, did I put on this wardrobe essential? And so what I want to do with just a, the few short moments that we have is I just want to give you three ways that you can know whether or not you're wearing humility. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just three things that are going to be relevant for us as we think about our life to know whether or not we are clothed in humility or not. And the three things are this, and, I, and I'll go through them real quick and then talk about them each individually. Number one is, is your, are your relationships, are they marked by peace or by conflict? That's one way that you know if you're wearing humility. Number two is your view in life. Do you seek to serve or to be served? That'll let you know whether or not you're clothed in humility. And the last one that we'll talk about tonight is when you face your own weaknesses, when you face your own shortcomings, when you face your own sin, is your heart filled with gratitude or is it filled with shame? 
So peace or conflict, do you seek to serve or be served, or gratitude or shame? What is that, is your view towards your shortcomings? Those are the three ways that you'll know. Let's talk about this first one, peace or conflict. Look at what Paul says here in Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. So he's using the same kind of language that Peter was using, saying that we need to put this stuff on. Clothe yourselves. He has a longer list here with compassion, kindness. There's our word humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And so our, our relationships, think about your relationships. Think about your marriage. Think about your relationship with your kids. Think about your relationship with your family, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your community group. Are those relationships largely marked by conflict, constantly in a fight with one another, constantly bickering at one another, constantly arguing, or are those relationships largely marked by peace? What Paul tells us is that if we are clothed in humility, then our relationships are going to be one of the first areas where we will see that we ourselves are clothed in humility. And then we will see that our relationships are largely marked by peace, not by conflict. And here's why this is such a great gauge for us is because humility, humility is a necessary ingredient for all relationships. Humility it acts to a relationship the same way oil interacts and acts in your car, in, your, in the engine of your car. So if you have all of us probably been in a car, you drive a car, there, your car has got all these different parts and your engine is made up of hundreds of different parts, but your engine will not be able to function the way it was intended to function if it does not have oil. Because there's a lot of friction that happens in an engine when it's functioning pop properly, and that friction is, is eased and smoothed over by the oil that flows through that engine. If your engine does not have oil, then your car will not be able to function as it was intended to function. And the exact same thing is true in our relationships. Our relationships need an oil. Our relationships will not be able to function the way that God wants them to function if that oil is not present. And the oil that is needed in our relationships is humility. Here's the fact of the matter is this, is if we are not humble, if we are not humble, then our relationships will crumble. They will crumble. And for some of us, our life has been marked by just broken relationship after broken relationship. And what we may realize is the reason, the reason why our life is marked by so many broken relationships is because we ourselves are not clothed in humility. We have a high self-preoccupation. We're thinking about ourselves and our needs, and we're not focusing on others. And the result of that is the relationships around us are crumbling. So that's one way we can tell if we're clothed in humility is our relationships. Are they marked by peace or by conflict? Let's move on and look at another one. Your view in life, is it to serve or to be served? Paul here again in Philippians chapter 2, listen to what he says, do nothing do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, there's our word again, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so what Paul is telling us here is that if we are clothed in humility, if that oil is running through our relationships, it'll be marked by peace, not by conflict. And if we are clothed in humility, then our view in life is gonna be that we are seeking to serve people not seeking to constantly be served by people. 
And the reason why that is so difficult for all of us, the reason why that is so difficult for me and I would imagine is so difficult for you is because we want life to be like Walt Disney World. We want life to be like Walt Disney World. When I was in college, I took a semester off of school and I went down and I had an internship down in Walt Disney World. And I remember going through the training that they would take all of their new employees, their new cast members is what they call them through. And they talked about why is Disney World the happiest place on earth? That's what so many people would call it is it is called the happiest place on earth down there in Orlando, Florida. And the secret, the reason why Walt Disney World is the happiest place on earth is because the moment you step foot on that property, every single cast member knows they have one job. And that job is to serve the guests is to serve the guests. So they are, the, the cast members are not sitting there thinking about their own life and their own needs. They know that the second somebody walks on that property, their job is to serve the guests. And so the whole time you're in Walt Disney World or uh, on their property, you are constantly being served by the cast members and it feels amazing, does it not? I mean, that feels great. We love it and we come back and we tell everybody about it and we spend all this money while we're down there and we want, we want life to be that way. We want everybody to serve us in that way. And so it is so hard for us or we're not being clothed in humility because our mindset when we wake up every day is that we want this place, we want wherever we go to be the happiest place on earth. Meaning we want everybody to see that we are as valuable as the cast members down at Disney World treat us when we show up at their property. And if we are constantly looking to be served then we have not clothed ourselves in humility. We have a high self-preoccupation. We have believed the lie that life is found from seeking to make sure that everything revolves around us. Life does not work, and the goal of life is not to make sure that everything revolves around us. We were talking with some of the re-engaged leaders even before today and talking uh, at dinner time, and we were talking about the, the lie of selfishness is that that will make our life better and somehow make us bigger. But the reality is, is that the more selfish we are, it doesn't make our lives better or our lives bigger. The exact opposite happens. It makes us smaller and, less and more and more deflated. That's what happens in our life. So if we have going through, if we're going through life and we're just seeking to be served all the time, then we're going to realize life doesn't work. And that's because we're not clothed in humility. So are our relationships marked by peace or are they marked by conflict? Are we seeking to serve or to be served? And there's one last one that I want to talk about here tonight, and that is our perspective or our reaction to our shortcomings, to our sins, or to our mistakes. Are, they, are we filled with gratitude or are we filled with shame? Let me read to you out of Psalm 103, verses 13 through 16. Here's what David says. As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows it over and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. So what I love about scripture sometimes is just what a sobering view it has on humanity and if you see what David says here is that David tells us that God remembers that we're dust. That, that's his expectation of us is that you and I is that we are dust and we will behave accordingly. 
that we are dust. And then he goes on and he says that the life of mortals, the life of mortals like us, our life is like grass, grass, excuse me. It flourishes like a flower. The wind blows it over. It's gone. And then nobody will ever remember us again. That is sobering. Amen. And so if we think about that, if we think about this reality, then that's going to impact whether or not we're clothed in humility. And we're going to see that in the way that we react to our shortcomings, the way we react to our behavior that we're embarrassed by, the way we react to sin. Let me tell you something. When we sin, when we make a decision, when there is an action, an attitude, or a thought that is less than God's best, let me tell you something. There is one person in this universe who is not surprised by those actions. And that one person is God. Because he knows that we are dust. We may be surprised, we may be ashamed by it, but God is not surprised because he knows our frame, he remembers our frame, and he knows that we are dust. Here's the way I like to illustrate it. I think about this. This this past spring, I went through the sanctifying experience of coaching second grade boys baseball. (laughs) And we finished the season three and seven, which is not very good. And we had three wins and we had seven losses. And Second grade, baseball is a complicated sport. There's a lot going on. I know it's not a lot of fast-paced action that's going on in baseball, but there are a lot of things that are going on in baseball. In any play, there's multiple decisions that you can make on where you throw the baseball and where you don't throw decisions when you're running the bases. It's a very, very complicated sport. And these second graders, uh, these second graders are just learning this, this new sport. And so I would say on every game, our at, on average, this was on average, on a good game, we made no fewer than 10 errors. No fewer than 10. I mean, trying to throw it, we got to the, to the stage where if, if somebody, if the ball went to the third baseman or the shortstop, we wouldn't even tell him to try to throw it to the first baseman because we knew how that ended. And it did not end with anybody out. It usually ended with somebody on third base. And so they just made error after error after error. They were constantly making running errors. They were constantly making fielding errors. They were constantly making all of these blunders. And let me tell you what, there, was, there were a few people who were not surprised at all by their errors. And that was me and the assistant coach. Because we know their frame. We know that they are second graders who don't even are still learning hand-eye coordination. They're still learning how to run and chew gum and talk at the same time. They're still learning how this really complicated sport. And so I did not expect them to play like a professional baseball team. And the assistant coach did not expect them to play like professionals. When they committed an error, we just said, yeah, that's, that's what happens when they're trying to figure all of this out. And in, in a similar way, in a similar way, all of us, we are second graders trying to figure out baseball. And there is somebody who is not surprised by our lack of consistency, by our complexity, by our swings and misses. And that person who is not surprised by that is God. And so our reaction to that, to our sin and to our shortcomings, if we well up with pride and frustration and, 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 uh, and shame, then all that, all that seems to indicate is that we think we know better. We think that we're better than, than, we, than we just behaved. And so our reaction, if we understand that we are dust, if we understand that we did nothing to contribute to this relationship with God, if we understand that we have been saved by grace, if we understand that we've been saved by grace, then we will face our shortcomings not with shame. We will face those with gratitude. And gratitude to say, Lord, thank you that you're not done with me yet. Thank you that even though I've done this again, 
There is grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that we are not defined by this sin or I'm not defined by this sin, this sin. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me the gift of the Spirit to know that tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day. And thank you that I know that there is still hope despite my behavior. And so are you marked by gratitude or by shame with your shortcomings? So those are three ways that we can tell whether or not we're clothed in humility. Are our relationships, are they marked by peace or conflict? Our general view in life, are we seeking to serve or to be served? And our reaction to our shortcomings, are we filled with gratitude or are we filled with shame? And so I'll just close with this last question. Is Okay, how? How do we make ourselves humble? How do we make ourselves humble? And I want to make sure you hear this. You can't. You cannot make yourself humble. You can only be made humble. You can't will yourself into humility. Humility is something that you become. You become humble. God makes you humble. So here's the to-do for all of us. The to-do for all of us is right here in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. If we can go back to that. Chapter 5, verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, and look at what he says here, under God's mighty hand. Under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The to-do for all of us, if you want to grow in your humility, if you want to become more humble, is to submit yourself under God's mighty hand. Because here, here's what produces humility in every single one of us. What produces humility in every single one of us is to be around something that's greater than all of us. That's why if you talk to people when they go see the Grand Canyon, the biggest hole in America, they go there, what do they say they feel? They feel humble being around something so big. It's people that go see Mount Everest and they stand at the base of Mount Everest and they look at this massive mountain, what do they feel? They feel humble because they're around something that is greater than them. And so you and I, if we wanna grow in our humility, all we need to do is be with God. That's it. Wake up every day, spend time with him, read his word, be around his people, Submit yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And as we do that, as we submit our lives to God, as we follow his ways, then what we start to realize is that we can admit that we're wrong in conflicts and our, and our relationships can be marked by peace. As we submit ourselves under God's mighty hand, we realize I'm here to serve, not to be served, because our Lord and Savior came to serve and not to be served. And we can humble ourselves and start to realize that we're not here just to make life happy. We're here to serve other people. When we submit ourselves under God's mighty hand, in those moments when we have made decisions that are less than God's best, we can, in gratitude, thank him for his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on, on the cross on our behalf. So if your life is marked by conflict, if you're looking to be served rather than to be served, or you're filled with shame, then my advice, Peter's advice, is to put on humility to put on humility because it looks great on everyone. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. And God, I pray for all of us in here. I, I pray that you will make us humble. I pray, Lord, that as we spend more time with you and we see your goodness and we see your love and we see your grace and your mercy in our life, I pray that in doing that, we will be clothing ourselves in humility 
I pray that we will be humble in our relationships and that we will admit when we've hurt people and we will ask forgiveness and seek reconciliation and we will do that humbly. I pray, Lord, that we will seek to serve other people, not just to make life where everybody is serving us, that we will do that humbly. And God, I pray that we will remember that we are dust and that you have a compassion on us like a father has compassion on their children and that you love us and that we can be grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy, that we don't have to be shameful. And so God, I pray that you will humble us and that we will continue to grow in our understanding of your grace and your goodness and your mercy. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.